Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. This is our special edition in partnership with KP Ready from Shadow Ventures. Hi, KP. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I'm great, and I am still Amy Peck. <laughs> and today we have with us Ali and Edgar from Aaron, who are the CEO and COO, respectively. And would you give us, uh, well, your last names as well and, and a proper introduction? Ali, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us, Amy. So I'm Ali Kalu, and I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of Aaron, and we're based in New York City. And I'm uh, Edgar Martinez Ceja, um, the CEO of Aaron and, and the other co-founder. And it's a pleasure to be with you here, Amy and KP. Great, great. Well, we're very excited to have you. And before we kind of dive into uh, Aaron, uh, how did you get into this industry? And then we're going to talk a little bit about KP like he's not here. How did you meet <laughs> KP? <laughs> Good questions. Um, so how do that? So let me start with this. I mean, um, I all my studies and you know is in civil engineering. So I, I have always been part of the industry, if you will. Um, so you know, going back in time. Um, so I did my undergrad in civil engineering, then worked as a as a civil engineer, designed new buildings and bridges and did inspections of them and all those kind of good stuff. Then at some point I was like, why did I went to school to do this kind of stuff? Like hanging from a bridge and count cracks. So from my graduate school, which I again continued in civil engineering, this time structural engineering, um, I started to look into how we can use technology to see um, you know, how our built environment behaves in general. So I started with different sensors in my master's and attaching different sensors to the structures and reading those information and seeing how, you know, if things are wrong or not. And then at, at some point I was like, this is still, you know, pretty cool technology, solid technology, but it's not scalable. You still need to attach different things to bridges and buildings and that's very expensive. So you have to look into something more scalable. So for my PhD, I started to look into how you can bring AI mixed that with civil engineering knowledge to actually do this at a scalable way. And, and after that, so finished my PhD on that one, did my postdoc on AI, so, and then started Aaron. So I've always been part of civil engineering industry, if you will. And how, how about you and Edgar? So on, on my side, Amy, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you can change the world faster if you're able to bring research to market faster. Right. So I'm originally, I'm a mechanical engineer. And at some point in my life, I was doing research on robots that walk on two legs. And I think the research world, it's, it's, I think it's super cool, right? I think the part that I was always a little bit frustrated is you get extremely well trained to become an academic, but you get zero training on, on, on how do you apply that, right? Like to solve the big problems that we have. So I became very obsessed with that. And after grad school ended up, I, I did a startup um, around technology and then did, uh, you know, business school, management consulting, just to learn the other side, right? Um, did some corporate and eventually I went back to my advisor, helped some of his uh, colleagues to assess research that could go to market and, and, and help them do that. And um, later on, I met Ali, right? And, um, you know, we were talking about you know, the, the, the big impact that it could have to address the issues of civil infrastructure, right? Using like, but not using just like day-to-day -day technology out there, but using things that are really a breakthrough, right? Um, and that's how, how, how we started uh, working on this. I love that. And then how did you come to meet KP? <laughs> so we were, we were, you know, we're finding someone visionary right? like you need to have the we believe that you need to have vision to change the world right you just don't change the world just because you're nice and hard work right like you really need to have vision and that's that's really hard right like to actually act on it is extremely hard and uh, I mean we, we've talked to a lot of people to find who would be the right believer right and um, and honestly like there's very few people that get the specifics of 
the built environment, right? Like there's a lot of VCs out there that, you know, are trying to change the world in a very generalistic, right? Like, but someone that gets uh, and that jump into the hottest thing, right? Like, but someone that really gets the industry and understands the challenges. Um, you know, when we talked to KP, we found out that um, he really gets it, right? And uh, so we, you know, started talking with him and ended up, um, you know, uh, having him as our lead investor, which we're super excited. I love I mean, that. I was, I was hoping for a little, you know, a little more dirt, but okay. That's the same. I think, I think you're framing the question incorrectly. It's like, how did you first make, meet KP and tell us about oh. your regrets? <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, trying. You're still talking to him. Yeah, like, well, I got to understand. Like, clearly you don't know him. Like, <laughs> well, maybe let, let me add something to that whole, uh, you know, our first conversations with KP. So, as Edgar mentioned, there are lots of VCs out there investing in prop tech and construction tech in general, but very, very few of them actually understand civil engineering, and KP is a civil engineer. So the first conversation I start to talk about, yes, I did civil engineering, I designed things, I inspected things. I think we, we just KP just related to all of that pain, and I think that you know make, made the conversation way easier. All right, you're still being too nice. I'm handing it over to KP. I've got to- <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, when, you know, a lot of the stuff that you look at in, you know, in startup world is like made up, like we're solving made up problems, right? Like, I don't think I needed a pizza delivery app. I think that was just <laughs> like pizza delivery was working just fine. Like, I'm not sure. Um and so I think, you know, when you're working with startups that are actually solving real problems, like they don't have to explain like, what's our TAM? It's like, it's the world. Like the TAM is like the world, right? It's not this like, oh, let me explain. And here's the players, you you know, so, you know, I think fundamentally like working with um, founders out of research, they're actually solving problems, not made up problems. And so many of the startups out there, when they talk about product market fit, it's really about like not solving product market fit has very little to do with like solving an actual problem. It's just like, will the market pay for it? Right. It, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're solving a problem. We all pay for lots of garbage that doesn't solve any problems. But um, so I think it is super different. Like when you're talking to folks that actually, um, come from the problem-solving world. Edgar, you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting, and maybe I'd like to pull it apart a little bit, is that, mm-hmm. you know, you research, you know, you come out of university and academia, and it teaches you how to research and how to, how to look at data, but it doesn't necessarily teach you how to connect it to the real world. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some of the ways that as you were looking at, you know, how you wanted to scale Aaron, like, how did you connect the dots there? Like how you know, to go to market? I mean, connecting the dots in, 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 in between research and market, it's really hard. Right. And, and the reality still today, right. Is that you have the world of research, right. And then you have the world of business, right? And in very rare occasions, they talk to each other, right? And they see each other sometimes as foes, right? Like one side, the business side says like, well, those guys are just, you know, playing around with, with cool gadgets, but that's it, right? And the guys that are doing the, 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 the research, they look at the other guys and like, well, they just care about like making money, right? And that's about it. How did the dots? How do the dots get connected? That's a great question, right? I think I think it, as a society, it's going to take a lot of work to get there, right? I think there's there's some groups still counted with this with this with one hand probably that are trying to do that, right? You have, you know, you have people like KP, you have people like uh, Cornell, the Cornell, the Cornell program at. Cornell Tech, the wrong way startup postdoc program that we're where we actually met, right? That are working on that. We have some some folks in, in California doing that, right? But there's a lot of work. Now, how do you how did we connect those dots, right? It's 
by talking to a lot of people before jumping in to really understand the problem, right? You just, you just don't, even as a researcher, right? Like you just don't like wake up one day and say, oh, this is a, this is a winning idea of how I'm going to forget about make money, like about how am I going to change the world and ding, it suddenly happens, right? Like the amount of work that we did in just having conversations with people from the industry and understanding what are your big problems, right? Like, what are you, like, what, what, what's a nice to have and what's going to change the world, right? Like that, I mean, we've had thousands of those conversations, right? And, and it's only through those that you eventually start to get a grasp of like, okay, if I use research on this way, right, I could potentially help change the world, right? But that's like, you know, getting to know the industry even through conversations, right? That's, that's, um, that's how, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Edgar brings up a great point when, you know, NSF has done it, is, is on the right path with some of their I-Core coaching. Yep. You know, because it used to be the government gave out grants with zero expectation of follow through. It's just like, we're just gonna keep giving you money, right? So now they're saying, hey, these research folks that are getting grants, you have to go through this I-Corps program yep. and do customer discovery and go interview and you know do all the work that maybe most startup founders just like, of course, like, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> but um, so, I, I mean, I think it's early days. I like what I-Corps has done. I think, I think to Edgar's point, like, I, I think there's a, a, a terrible like problem in venture right now, though, is that it's like minimum viable product. Everything's minimum, you know, capital light, MVP. And that's, that's really cool if you're building some cute app, right? Offshore to somebody in India and for 20,000, they build an app and blah, blah, blah. I think that's, you know, that, that's fine. But when you start talking about, oh, we have a vision to solve the nation's infrastructure, not only does it take more capital because you have to have like really, really smart people working on it, but it also takes time. And I think that's where like you can overcapitalize a company um, by just throwing tons of money at them. But solving problems just takes time and, and you can't always, you know, just throw more bodies at it. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, I think that there's also, um, you know, talking about this whole vision notion, you know, what point do, you know, does, you know, it's like a solution looking for a problem or that the vision is, so revolutionary that it's just it's like almost impossible to articulate and but we recognize it as a problem and how and how you're approaching it you believe is the solution i think it's that's it's that kind of that telling that story of how to get there um and i'd just love to hear just uh, again you know who are your customers now you i think you've done all the right things right you've been speaking to customers you've got you know smart money behind you uh, but that is one percent of what needs to happen now. Not to be, you know, make this daunting. But you know, how how are you guys going to tackle? You know, the, what was it? The the best way to eat an elephant, one bite at a time. Like, what wh what is the first bite, and then what's bite twenty five? I mean, that's 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 a great question, right? I think you know things start with, you know, I mean. You know, you have when you were talking about like problem to solution, solution to problem, right? Like, I mean, inevitably you have to start somewhere, right? Like back in the day, right? Like there was just, you know, as the solution, right? Like you're doing pure research, right? And you know, there's a zillion problems that you can solve, right? Like eventually you talk to hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people, right? And then you start to identify the right the, the problems that you could solve right until you find something that it's that you like right personally i think ali and i we both were looking for high impact problems right like we like changing the world right like uh otherwise we could be doing a thousand other things right like we we do like to change the world and we think infrastructure is one of those things that you you could really change a lot of things in the in the world right world right and then I think I used to, like, we used to look at this video and, and Ali might remember it. It's, it's a video of a guy dancing alone, a guy or a girl, like the, the person dancing alone, right? And you see this person dancing like crazy, right? 
And then I think, I don't remember how many minutes it lasts, but eventually you see someone else, right? Like joining the person, right? And it's just so slow, right? And then eventually there's a point when things go crazy and like everybody's dancing, right? And I think the first the first part of the problem, right? Once you identify it is, well, let's find people that believe in that problem, right? Like that, that, that believe that we can actually change the world and that this is a problem that it's worth uh, addressing, right? And that's, you know, that's your very first customers, right? Or like people that give you the time to show them what you can do and how you can help them solve the big problem, right? And those are like the super early customers, more POC people, right? Like uh, then let's find the actual people that would help us with the capital to, to change the world, right? Like, like the investors, right? Um, and then, you know, it's just like one brick at a time, right? Like we've been working in um, finding the innovators, right? Like the, 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 the engineering firms, which are our customers, right? Um, right, to show that there's traction that you can actually build up a, a business. And then, you know, what, what happens after, right? Like I think, so our goal really, it's when you, when you, you know, what does that mean for us changing the world, right? Like there's two parts. One is it is unacceptable, right? That at this stage and with the technology that we have around, you still have, you have bridges collapsing and dams collapsing, right? And, and keep killing people and making things extremely inefficient, right? We believe that shouldn't happen, right? So one of our goals is minimize the risk of failure, right? The second goal is optimize how you spend money in infrastructure, right? We spend $9 trillion of infrastructure around the world in an annual basis, right? And 40% of them, like, you know, a little bit close to $4 trillion are suboptimally spent, right? And that's unacceptable, especially when you know that the amount of money that you're spending in infrastructure, it's not good, it's not enough, right? So the first thing that we have to do, it's like, or what we're doing is like building the foundation, showing that, you know, there's a path to generate enough revenue and enough profit, right? Um, which is like the short-term problems of the industry, right? Like, how do you help the engineer? You know, there's a ton of young engineers there that cannot stand the idea of going and counting cracks, right? Or counting damage, right? That's the part where you start, right? Hey, let's let's automate all these, right? Just this damage assessment, right? Then you go and like build a library, right? Of like, what's the stage of every single asset in the world, right? And eventually you get to a place where you understand at a macro level how infrastructure is evolving in real time, right? With like a spectacular amount of granular detail, right? And then you can really get to that goal, which is, hey, let's help with the big decisions, right? Like let's, let's, let's optimize how we spend this money. Let's, let's get ahead of, 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 of the moment when a bridge is going to collapse, right? So that's sort of like the high level, at least how, how we see it, right? But yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I love the, this, the visionary component of this. I think this is what a lot of startups miss. So I want to come back to that in a moment. We're going to take a little break to hear from our wonderful sponsors, and we will be back momentarily. All right, we are back, and I love this conversation. Um, and, I, and I'd love to to pull apart a little bit, you know, how much of this is is looking at what we've built and and you know shoring up the problems that exist in current infrastructure, and then how much and how can we ensure that we we kind of create the workflows that are can easily be adopted, so we just build things in a more efficient and better way in the future. So I'd love to kind of pull those two parts. Yeah, I think, Amy, you know, one of the, I think one of the points, you know, like the, not to harp on the Pittsburgh bridge collapse, but I think the reality is we all go get annual physicals. Um, we go buy a car knowing that we have to put gas in it and do scheduled maintenance, but government funds infrastructure with really no real plan to maintain and manage 
like they wait for it to break, right? So it's almost like buying a car and never getting an oil change and just waiting for it to break and then buying a new car. Um, and I think part of it is they just don't know. Like there's, it's such a big problem, like prioritizing, you know, forget about informing better design in the future. That'd be fantastic. But I mean, Ali, when you look at it, I mean, you practice as a civil engineer. I mean, the absurdity of the work we have to do that's just highly preventative. Absolutely. So I think that the biggest issue or one of one of the main issues I would say is we don't know how bad things are. Like understanding of, okay, I have this portfolio of bridges in each state and across the country, these 618,000 bridges, how bad things are in each and every one of them. Like they don't have a good documentation. And therefore, they don't know when they should really deploy money and how much they should deploy. And as some of the state DOTs have, have told me, on, uh, is they're managing by fire. Something goes down, they come and fix it. And so the, one of the key things that you're seeing that uh, a company like ours can change is help these civil engineers and and these you know people from uh, both uh, you know, sides whether it's the asset owner it can be the dot's the department of transportation at each and every state and municipalities and the civil engineers to start to do things at a way more granular level and also at that objective way so back to what um KP was mentioning, right now, the way things are, it's very much subjective. Like you have an engineer goes out in the field, they have to literally like hang from a bridge, eye roll, look for damages, and these damages are millimetrics. And then they have to take a couple of photos and maybe go back in their office and start drawing them in AutoCAD. So the whole thing is, you know, you're starting at 7 a.m., you're sharp, you capture everything, but by 2 p.m., you start to feel you know, tired and you're not going to be as efficient as you were at 7 a.m. And you're going to miss this stuff. And you're going to start to ballpark da damages. Like, I think this is a two feet by one feet corrosion. And that's literally what happens. So next time you go out, like how much corrosion you know, expanded, you don't know because the last person actually ballparked it. And now you're ballparking. And so super subjective, then you start to do the rating and it goes all the way that the, the whole rating system that we have is goes from zero to nine. And then you look at the standard deviation of that by sending different people out to do the inspection of the same bridge, it's plus minus two. So somebody can say it's good, somebody can say it's fair and, and so on and so forth. So the first piece is how we can change that part, how we can go from subjective, inconsistent information that we have which as a result, we don't know how much we should fix and how much money we want and which one we should fix first and so on and so forth. And that's where we come in to make that an objective assessment, something consistent, something that that repetitive job of counting cracks as an example, how we can give that to a machine to do it for us or AI or computer, if you will, and basically have these engineers, like talented, experienced engineers, just do the Part, which is about the decision making. Okay, should I fix this? Should I not fix it? And at some point when you have all those kind of documentation and understanding of their state of your assets, you start to see about, okay, as an example, let's go with bridges, which designs of the bridges, you know, wind up being, you know, staying for a longer time and what kind of materials are holding better over time. Like all of that information and creating those kind of libraries just help us when we get to, okay, now let's build new things. Now you know which materials hold better, which designs are you know, lasting a longer time, and so on and so forth. You're not making me feel good about driving yeah. over bridges, which I do regularly, but... Um, you Amy, know, I, we, Amy <laughs> I tweeted out, like, if you knew the state of our bridges and facades, <laughs> you wouldn't. And I had all these people DM me saying, what do you mean? Hey, is there any way to integrate the, the bridge database, like the last time it was inspected, into Google Maps or Waze, so I can so I can make a decision around avoiding them? I was wow. like, that's yeah. actually like, I mean, 
you go eat a taco, they have a health inspection report. You know what right. you're getting into. And so, um, by the way, sometimes when they get a B rating, they're the best tacos, right? It's, it's okay with it. But, <laughs> but, you know, this idea, though, that we're driving around and I mean, facades are the same thing. You know, you have these granite or, you know, uh, facades on buildings. Those panels fall. It's not I mean, it's, this is like an everyday thing. And so somebody said, like, I don't understand, like, why can't the government just take the last inspected date and push it to Google Maps and Waze? So we're all better informed. Because you had government in that sentence. That's why it does. It's not happening. It's just too much. So I'm going to get I'm going to get audited for sure. I shouldn't say that. We're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> but that is part of the part of the problem. It, 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 and, it, and I think it's it goes back to this vision statement where some of these problems seem completely insurmountable, but there are things like, let's start there. Let's just start informing the public because that's also going to build up a groundswell of some public pressure to say, look, we need to solve these problems. And then everyone's going to look up and start looking around and hopefully find Aaron. And you can start this process of, of really arming them with the right thing. There's something, something else that you said, Ali, that I think is an important message is that this is another example where it, you're not replacing jobs. You're taking those engineers and you're you're you know putting them right side up <laughs> in front of data instead of hanging them from bridges to to count cracks. And it's a better use of their time. And again, not a replacement. It's it's giving them the tools to augment their job. We're just empowering them. We're augmenting yeah. the process. That is correct. Yeah. I, I mean, love that. Amy Ali and I had similar engineering experience. I used to repel off the side of buildings to inspect facades. And the whole way down, you're like, I went to college for this. Like I didn't go to college to participate in the X games. Like this is not what I signed up for, but like you have to, I mean, that's the job. And I was like, okay, this, this two shall pass attitude, you know, pay your dues and all that. But a lot of engineers say, this is, this is, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I don't think that would be uh, something that I would sign up for, for sure. Uh, but I do want to get to our, our final question with, with both of you. And I ask this to everyone who joins us and it's about projecting yourself into the future, you know, 20, 25 years, and you could bring with you any gadget or service that actually on a personal level just makes your life better or you know, easier in some way, or just makes you happy what would it be and what would it do? So Ali, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's a, it's a little bit of a tough question to answer, but I'll answer in two parts. Like one is, it's, it's a little bit of wishful thinking, but I, I mean, and it's not that much personal, but it's like reducing the whole CO2 emission, like getting to a place in 2050 that the amount of CO2 that we, we put out there is going to the bare minimum so we can see that our children and grandchildren and so on and so forth can, can live on this planet. But on the personal level, I think since I was a kid, I loved flying cars or thinking about them. So <laughs> I would love to have a flying car by 2050 so I don't yeah. suck in traffic. I think I think, I think you might get, get your wish. I know Airbus for one and a number of others are working on that. So I think you're yeah. going to get your wish for sure, maybe even sooner. How I about like you, that. Edgar? How about you, Edgar? I think... I would like a teletransporter. And what I mean is, listen, I love, for example, working in New York, right? But hey, I want to go and hit the slopes of ski, you know, in the afternoon, right? On a Friday and uh, it just takes too long, right? Um, so I would love to be able to just like teletransport, telecommute, like, you know, press the button and be wherever you want um, and come back. So that that's would be my wish. <laughs> that's 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 a that's a good one. Sometimes I just I would like to have some 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 clones where I could just send one one place, one another place, and then just me <laughs> as me and my like you know uber consciousness gets to do all the fun stuff. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully we'll get there. KP, I've never actually asked you this. Oh, actually, I think I have asked you this question. I'm already living it. That's like uh, living the dream. My, I don't leave my house. We're all just nodes on a network. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you don't actually know if this Perfect. is me or some avatar. Like it's it's great. Yeah, you, you could just and, be a video and, on a loop. <laughs> oh, when we all first started going remote, I had multiple laptops. I was on the same Zoom call. Like I had multiple Zoom calls going. And I would just go off <laughs> camera on one and back to the other. It was fantastic. It was highly efficient. 
I love that. That's great. Gentlemen, Aline Edgar, thank you so much for joining us. I love the vision. I, I wish you all the success uh, because not only do you deserve it, but I think we all deserve it. We deserve some you know, safe infrastructure. So I'm glad you're tackling this problem. Thank you, Amy. Great, you, great Amy, talking to you and KP. Right. Have a thank great day. Bye. Bye-bye. So we are going to bring on our next guest, Mike Jocko from AI Engineers. Mike, are you hiding somewhere? There you are. Here I am. How, How are, are you, Amy? I'm Good, very yourself? well, thanks. Yeah. So tell us uh, again, and, and look, feel free to take some shots at KP. This is your opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the only shots I can throw at KP is the impressive pitch he made to us uh, in terms of investing with uh, with his VC firm. And uh, it, it was probably the first time in, in our conventional engineering experience that we ever really had considered in getting in some of that investment. So again, I can't say anything negative. The guy just, you know, whatever reason, he's, he's, he's where he's supposed to be in the right place. So um yeah i you know it's been a pleasure uh, meeting and working with him so far <laughs> he must be really really good because that's what everybody says it's kind um, of amazing kp i I'm don't blushing. know i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is good it, you know it, it is um you know we work with a lot of startups a lot of them don't think about the type of investment they're taking and they don't think about the investor and, you know, having smart money behind you and having someone who really does look, see, I'm even doing it. I'm complimenting you, but it is, it's, it is, it's nice to see that, that, you know, a group like shadow ventures is out there and supporting the solutions, right? This, and, and I don't get a sense from KP that you're out there just like, okay, what, you know, what was my return going to be in three years? What's my exit look like? Um, you know, it's, it is solving some of these, these hard problems. And Mike, I think you got a chance to hear um, Ali and Edgar a little bit, and, you know, I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on, on how we move forward and, and a little bit more about what you're doing at, uh, at AI engineers. Sure. So, um, you know, in, in terms of what um, Edgar and Ali are offering, it's obviously something that I think is um is pretty unique in the terms of the artificial intelligence solution they're delivering. Um, the, we we had, well, I would say we sort of stumbled upon them. It was more that Ali reached out to me at a very opportune time, and uh, we can get to that later in conversation. But um, what we found truly advantageous about their product was that um, you're, you're basically doing your analysis in, in the third dimension. It's not a, a 2D product. It's not just a spreadsheet. Um, and for you know, really, you know, uh, hardcore engineers and in, in the bridge industry, that's a fantastic deliverable for us. But for our clients who, you know, most are bridge inspectors, so they know what we're turning around in terms of reporting and and, and and our input, but several others are not. They're just lay people like us with administrative jobs, but they're in charge of the money. If we can give them something that is a little bit more understandable and tangible to them, um, I think it just all across the board helps people understand their assets, uh, understands uh, how to make better decisions on uh, future uh, programming and, and, and addressment of some of those assets, excuse me, assets. And um, um, all in all, it just was something different that we hadn't seen before at that time. Uh, where it really converges uh, with with our business at AI Engineers, uh, like I've touched upon, uh, where our most prevalent side of our business is bridge inspection uh, and load rating. Um, obviously, that's exactly what Ali and Edgar's software is geared towards. Um, going back a little over three years ago, uh, I, I had this thought about uh, what, was, what was born from, I was walking through our office back to our marketing department, and one of our inspectors just came back from a crack mapping project. And it was the middle of winter, he was in his coveralls, he was still frozen even after a half hour drive, you know, but thawing on out. And I looked at him and I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. I mean, it, it, it just didn't make sense to me why, why these guys are out there doing their, their best and, and, and the worst of conditions. Um, go figure at the bridge that they were, were crack mapping. I was fishing under it um, a, a, like a year later, and the idea just hit me. It was like, we can combine some of the technology that we have to do the data collection, and we could probably leverage artificial intelligence to speed up this analysis, or at the very least, generate a three-dimensional model that is literally reality, 
bring it into the office and scour the structure there in the office where it's safe, it's more you know weather amicable, and it just it just makes life easier. Um, so that's really how we kind of got to this point. Uh, we've implemented Aaron's technology a few times now, um, and it's we've seen nothing but success and quality. Um, it's really changed how we go about uh, thinking how we'll approach given inspections as as they come up cycle after cycle. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just been a real winner for us so far. What, what do you think? around like you know one of these missions around technology right is around transparency and and not to pick on dot's we we know that part of its resourcing and funding and uh and we take a lot of things for granted you know the, the road is there why are we worried about it you know it's just we take things for granted as, as consumers but i just look at this technology and i say like um what is the citizen's right to know right when in terms of reporting and trans transparency because technology gives us transparency that's that's the whole idea right and whether it's roadway conditions whether it's you know there was that um you know whether it's accident reporting which you know is a big thing and then we had that thing in dc on, on the, the highway in dc where everybody was like stuck on a road for a day right and it's like oh that's weird we have weather reporters and <laughs> we have all this information and whether it's bridges or road conditions um, it just feels like we continue to pour money into new projects without really thinking about the existing. And we don't really kind of budget that way. And it just feels like as taxpayers, like we just want to try, we just want to know, right? I mean, the, the news might be bad. It's like when you go to your doctor, I mean, they're you're not looking for just good news. You're like, hey, what's the bad news so that I can course correct? But like, do you see any trends around that? Like where DOTs are saying, you know what, it's our duty to be transparent and report what's going on. So uh, to start my answer with the way you kind of started the question, certainly not here to offend any DOTs. Right. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad we have an edit button on this video. <laughs> with that being said, um, they are certainly saying that it is their duty to inform the traveling public to the best of their ability. Um, and there are Definitely, um, I would say more than none, or than than none, are certainly making a concerted effort to that. I think really what it comes down to is the magnitude of that news. Um, we've touched upon it, you know, with Ali and Edgar during their conversation, but we know our national, you know, bridge or infrastructure health rating is a D. I mean, to think about how much more space there is between an A and a D is immense, and can the American public handle that fact, that that the gravity of the extent of the truth? Um, should they know? Absolutely. But again, if you're not a, a educated um, bridge inspector or engineer to understand that a global perspective of the entire problem is intimidating. But when you really begin to break it down, you begin to understand it better, and it isn't in so in insurmountable. If you take it in small bites, things like anything else in life will be you know, seemingly more achievable. But that the initial shock factor, I think, is really why it's kind of a dangerous thing to go ahead and, and, and put that kind of level of detail out there. I don't want to say, let's misinform the public. Um, but we know how social media is. We know our, our keyboard warriors and unfortunately the, the, the influence that they have nowadays as opposed to the truth out there. And those type of news stories are compelling and they're, they're dangerous, right? And it's, it's something I think that sells more than, yeah, you know, we've come up with, you know, a 30-step a plan. Sounds like a lot. It's what's going to take. I mean, there, to your point, there's more bridges that need repair than new construction. Um, but that problem is a, much more a, is a much more difficult problem to resolve than just saying, yeah, guys, things are bad, but uh, trust us, you're okay to cross this bridge today. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, have, I have a lot of friends in politics. And what they tell me is like, there's no ribbon cutting to repair a road. There's a ribbon cutting <laughs> to open up a new bridge or a new transportation center. And, you know, as politicians, like we want as many ribbon cuttings as we can get. And it's just not, there's no sexiness in like, oh, we fixed it. Right. Yeah. And, and and from a project approach as well, too, you're kind of new construction, almost starting with a clean slate, right? And in many ways, that's an easier route than it is to research the history of an existing structure, inspect it, load rate it, then get your design repairs out there. I mean, you could just see in, in describing the first few initial steps, it's a very exacerbated, tedious uh, process, expensive process before you even get to the repair part. So 
a lot of the times, like you said, whether it's ribbon cutting or whether it's just ease of implementation, the new projects tend to go a little bit more easily. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think we're probably going to have to cut in J- uh, Jack Nicholson from uh, uh, you know a few good men. It's like you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I think I think that is part of the part of the problem. Um, and and I think that you know when you were talking about DOT, you know it's it's to the best of their ability. It, in a lot of cases, it's like they're underfunded, under resourced. Um, there's just, or, or they're, you know, within their purview is just so much of, you know, there's infrastructure bridges, you know, roads, all of it, that it's, it's, you know, they have to kind of choose where they're spending their time. And again, without the data, it's, it's hard to prioritize. You're 100% right. I mean, DOTs are not immune to the current climate that everybody else is suffering from right now. Um, If anything, there was already a trend that was happening that um, was the the baby boomers all retiring and that huge void and, and that vacuum between the next generation that's ready to come in and ready to backfill those senior level positions nobody's immune, unfortunately, and the DOTs are very much there. So you're correct in, in the sense that resources simply aren't there to maybe address the the, the full amount of the, of the project. But, um, you know, for instance, here, here where our home office is for AI engineers in, in Middletown, Connecticut, we're one of the smaller states, you know, here, here in the country. Yet just to think about the amount of bridges we inspect in this home state of ours alone is I mean, again, for most people, it's it's almost unfathomable. And you start driving around and you recognize the small culverts, the local single span bridges. I mean, we're in the several thousands in our small little stamp of, of, of a state in Connecticut. Now we expand out to all the other states and regions that we handle. There is a lot. And for the most part, it is all very old and it all needs to be addressed. Where do you prioritize? How do you go ahead and allocate the funding that is all flooding in right now, as we know, but all needs to be divvied up correctly and also applied for correctly. So there's a lot of challenges for the DOTs. I do not envy their position right now. Um, it's certainly not the cushy state level job that everyone envisions that they have. It's it's very cutthroat right now on how they allocate all this funding right now and certainly how they're going to go ahead and, and, and have the manpower to to manage those projects. What are you? What yeah. are you seeing? What yeah. are you seeing in your in your own firm? I mean, one one my one of my hypotheses. You know, I, I teach at Georgia Tech in the civil department, and everyone want you know I show up and they all want to do a tech start. <laughs> none of them want to be a geotechnical engineer. Like none of them are interested in any of that. Um, but how are you seeing like recruiting talent? This idea, like I think Ali and I were talking about, like hanging off the side of a bridge. Hang. It just feels like we have a. a, a a talent base that's coming into the workforce is like, oh no, like I give me an iPad, like give me the tech tools. Don't give me a little survey, orange surveyor's book, right? And a pencil. Um, I mean, how are you seeing that like in terms of culture and hiring? And it, it just seems like, you know, it just seems hard, right? I mean, there's so much of what we do is just so boring and regular. Um, people actually want to be entertained at work these days, apparently. <laughs> you, know, it, you, you bring up a, a valuable, a real reality. Um, and for those firms that have really stretched their arms out and embraced new technology, it's been a differentiator. And that's how we really seen it for ourselves. Um, first of all, going back to not hanging off a bridge, believe it or not, this younger generation, it, uh, they must be thrill seekers or the whole skateboarding, <laughs> snowboarding thing is as common as any other sport nowadays, uh, which it wasn't when I was a kid. But we have um, we have a team of, I believe, up to now around 10 Sprat level climbers that are literally they, they are dying to find the next bridge that they can get out and climb on. So it's, it's really interesting, <laughs> that dynamic. Um, but regardless of that very unique group that you yeah. know is in existence um first of all trying to locate the resources that are qualified to handle um uh, professional level technology um was difficult um to your point you're now lecturing um you know uh, young people that are coming on out that are being trained in flying drones or utilizing lidar and laser scanners or ar and vr um the availability of that that workforce that knows what they're doing with this stuff is becoming a little bit more inundated. Um, but for firm, it's really on the firms. Um, again, we found that when we conscientiously decided that we were going to start a drone program, we were going to go ahead and invest in LIDAR, uh, we were getting a BIM department developed as well too. 
once we put our feelers out, suddenly we noticed that there were these people in the market. Um, a lot of them were millennials. And unfortunately, there's that negative condentation that all surrounds the millennial generation that we've all heard. And it's we're certainly not immune to it. Uh, so it took a, a conscientious perspective change on what's available, where the industry is heading. Um, we also made a decision that we wanted the firm to become agile. And we made, we made a, a real um, decision to um, just dive in headfirst in agility. And part of that was stop looking at things the conventional way. We're not looking just for an engineer that can check off boxes, back check um, reports, and, and, and interface with the client. There's really unique skill sets these young uh, people coming out in this next generation have, whether it's video gaming or whether it's really you know trained in academia on how to implement a lot of this new stuff. Um, so now we're seeing it more often, and we've been very fortunate to scoop up a lot of these young people and give them the opportunity to uh, to shine. And it's helped us advance our programming, of, you know, tremendously. Yeah, when I've talked to right. like when I've talked to AC, sorry, when I've talked to AC okay. le- like leadership, they're also talking about this technology really giving them lots of flexibility around resourcing because you have nine people that are certified in something, but then you. All of a sudden, you have a lot of that work, and in. we're, in, we're investors in another company called EcoBot that does wetlands delineation. And they said, "Yeah, we get all these the seasonality of of real estate transactions. It's feast or famine. But I can't train someone up overnight on doing a wetlands delineation. But with the technology, now I can de-skill. You know, the, it's it's like you're more of an operator versus a, you know you're just following the pan, the, the screens." I mean, are you starting to see any benefit of that around like just resource being able to load level across skill sets? 100%. Um, In in the case of um, infrastructure inspection and and in particular, uh, you know, utilizing drones, um, the ultimate goal has always been to not have myself as as our lead pilot, a non-engineer, um, be the data collector. It was always to get that technology into the hands of the experts. Now, these guys have a full-time billable job. And when, to your point and to everything that Ali discussed, when you come back from a full day in the field, the last thing you're thinking about is donating your personal time to learn a technology. You want to get home, take a shower and, and get some rest before the next day. So with different technologies, especially in the drone industry evolving so rapidly, especially in the age of autonomy, Um, we have the ability to take certain technologies that are so intuitive and get them in the hands of people that are trained enough to get them implemented, but have that conventional knowledge and experience to marry maybe the lack of hours training on a drone um, with the ability of the drone to think on its own, and then also taking their conventional experience to make up for maybe any of those shortcomings. Um, We have one drone system in particular, it's very prevalent. Um, It literally scours any subject that we would like to have mapped, creates its own flight plans, and at the push of a button, collects all the data and literally just pop the memory card on out and throw it into our preferred photogrammetry software, and the job is done. It doesn't take me who can fly without GPS and, and, and you know, years and hours of experience to be thrown out there for one light, you know, light mast, which is a waste of time, frankly. But now the guys that would be there doing the inspection, basically at the push of a button, can collect the data that I would have to be sent out there for. So it definitely democratizes things. Um, it definitely makes it more accessible. Um, and then, of course, acceptance internally. If the technology is feasible, it's doable, and it doesn't take a massive amount of training, now other satellite offices are doing it. It's not just what's emanating from the home office where I'm locating. Others are getting the confidence that they can do it themselves, and then they're going to go ahead and implement it themselves as well. Yeah, I think that key too that you talked about it's 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 for the for the next generation workforce, and it's not even really millennials that, that you know that that's the, that's the workforce now. It's it's sort of Gen Z and Gen Alpha behind them, and you know they're they're not going to go to a company that that is not using kind of the latest technology. They're all digital natives. They're going to expect it. Um, I was telling the story that I moved recently and I misplaced my Apple pencil. And so I was just going to go old school, just write things on paper. And I could not locate a writing implement in my house anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we're sort of like, we're sort of there now. And so we, we do need to think about the future and companies need to think about the future. Again, it's looking around, not just from a business perspective of what your products and services are and what problems you're solving, but who is going to be your workforce in five, five years, 10 years, 15 years? 
No, very much agree with that. And, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but the, the firms that are making a conscientious effort to to foresee what the future is coming, this technology is going to be here. I mean, if, if, if no one's recognizing that yet, you're you're certainly on, on the slowest train, you know, coming on the tracks right now. So if if we're paying attention and if we have good foresight, we have that vision. And unfortunately, the gentleman who's the A in the I and AI engineers, that's just a convenient name uh, that was, you know, we chose 30 years ago before artificial intelligence was was really prevalent. Um, but uh, Abul Islam, who is the owner of our company, for lack of better words, is a visionary. And, and he really foresaw where the industry was going to change and empowered people like myself and others at AI Engineers uh, six years ago to take on this role that, you know, let us be the first, let us make mistakes, let us be the, the, the test, you know, subjects, but we're going to be the first ones to bring successful technology to our DOTs and we're going to need those resources. So if your upper management understands and really foresees what's coming and this technology is here to stay, you're going to get the right people in house. And that comes from every level and every generation. Um, but they're great video game players. Most likely they're going to be able to fly a drone that afternoon. So <laughs> That's great. That is that is actually that could you could not have kind of you know brought us into our last question with a, a better statement. Uh, so so as you as you heard um, with our our previous guests, I I do ask the same question of everyone, and again this is now kind of just you know going into your own life and and what you want for the future for yourself for your family. Um, so project yourself 20, 25 years in the future. You can have any gadget or service that just makes you happy. What would it be and what would it do? Sure. So it's it's a little on the side of what um, Edgar had mentioned. So he, he kind of stole my, my, my answer a little bit, but I would love to have a transporter time machine. Um, I, I think I'm like Edgar. Um, I, I have no patience for travel. I love to travel to the destination and but everywhere in between to me just I don't know. I'm just, I'm an impatient person. It just seems like an inconvenience. So if I could just be placed somewhere immediately, um, especially with all the job sites I drive to all over the, the East coast, that would make my life more convenient. And then the time, uh, you know, the, 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 the time transporter side of things, just to go back and fix some stupid mistakes I've made along the way. <laughs> it's a, no regrets, but I think everybody has those few things that are like, darn, you know, if I could just go back and just check that one switch the other way, I would have made my life that much miser- more easy. So yeah, that's, that's great. That transporter time machine for sure. Amy, hey, hey, I feel oh, like that's the, a great idea. I, I feel like the time machine answer, like me to take that off the list. Cause that's like the... <laughs> You know, the genie grants you three wishes and you, your first wish, right. wish is to ask for more, like, yeah, like it's like We're that. Cheating. Like, like you're kind of cheating. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of cheating. But I, but I like that, like sort of going back, like, was that a good decision? I don't know. Hey, I'm all for trying and failing. But then there were this, those stupid high school decisions you made that were like, oh, God, let me like, take wow. that one back. It's like, how am I still alive in some cases? Basically. <laughs> No, my mom and dad Excellent. would be happier if we could hit the reset button. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it, Mike has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Amy and KP. Pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely, great to see you. You as well too.